0: Hey there, and welcome back to Industry Town. My name is Brian Norris. I'm your host. As always, this show is sponsored by John Rosenfeld Studios and Actor Salon. And today's guest is Teddy Sears. Teddy is a friend. Teddy's a phenomenal actor, and he's been working. He's done over a hundred episodes of television. Uh, came up on a soap. You might know him from American Horror Story, Masters of Sex, The Flash. Uh, and coming out this Friday on the 19th of June, season two of The Politician. Uh, we had a great conversation. We really just let it go all sorts of places, and I had a blast. I learned so much from him. Uh, we talk about bad audition stories. It's one of my favorite segments that we do sometimes. Uh, we talk about how he came into the business, deep dive on The Flash. We, uh, get into The Politician and what it's like rehearsing with Bette Midler. That's really, really fun. And, um... Also, we talk about COVID, because Teddy had COVID. He and his wife both did. And hearing about that experience is fascinating. We touch on um, some of the recent proposals that uh, the DGA, WJ, and SAG have agreed on. Um, Also, just um, heads up, we talked about current events for the first about half hour of the podcast. Uh, That means COVID and pandemic. That also means Black Lives Matter and, and, and protests and all that stuff. I'm pretty aware that not many people give a shit what Teddy and I think about these things, but at the same time, it's a platform and we are putting this out there and it seemed wrong to not talk about it. So um, if you're interested in what we have to say, please check that out. Otherwise, no harm, no foul. Please just go to about 32 minutes in and you won't miss a beat. Uh, But yeah, that's it. Enough chit chat. Got no ad breaks today. Just please support Teddy. Watch The Politician on Netflix this Friday. And now here's Teddy. Lock it up. Very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three. A mark. Okay, Teddy Sears, you're here. Industry town. It's happening. Uh, it's lovely to see your face over Zoom. I'm sorry that it's not in person, but uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being Thank
1: here. Thank, man. Thanks for wanting to talk to me. This is this is really exciting. Ever since um, you guys dropped your first one, uh, summer of of 2019, right? July, Um, August?
0: May, fall, early fall, like beginning of September, we had David Sullivan's first one drop. I'm I'm way off.
1: But um, I've been, um, I've been kind of secretly hoping I was going to, I was going to get on your radar. So this is fun.
0: (laughs) Well, I, I'm excited to talk to you because you and I know each other, but not well. Yeah. And that to me is sometimes my favorite conversation with somebody, that moment when you go from, yeah, I know you. Hi, it's good to see you. Sure, right.
1: From like comfortable familiarity to, oh, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. I, I so I'm so I'm excited about that. So thank you for uh, for being here. I do want to start um, really quickly by just acknowledging the moment that we're recording in. Very yeah. very quickly, uh, I'm going to start by saying I don't think anyone gives a shit what two white guys really think about the present moment. Um, but it is going on right now, and we do have a platform. And so I guess what I wanted to ask you is. What do you feel like is the role of somebody having a platform? You know, we're actors. We, uh, you know, you're on the flash. You're on the politician. It's not like, um, it's not like you are on the front lines of a charitable cause necessarily or a nonprofit. So, what is the role of somebody? You know, I have a podcast. You have a bunch of Instagram followers. What do you? That's something I'm wrestling with a lot. Because, what is my platform's responsibility? I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's something that. That I've
1: talked to lots of friends about. That's something I've I've asked myself about. You know, like what what is what is my best way forward? My my wife and I talk about this all the time. She sent me something really sort of wonderful the other day that essentially boiled down to, you know, there 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 are many lanes forward, right? As long as we're on the same road and as long as we're traveling in the right direction. I mean, everyone's got to make that individual decision, what's best for them. Um, I, I do think though that. That going forward is is the only way to be right now. Um, so for me, there's been, you know, I'm feeling my way through, it, but there's been a ton of listening. There's been a ton of conversations, and um, you know, I'm committed to to taking decisive action. What that means, like what 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 form it takes, is um, yeah, I'm still I'm still in early days, but I know that I'm deeply deeply committed to um, to making sure that that this moment isn't just another one of those where it was like, oh man, yeah, there was, there was such excitement. Like, Whatever happened to that? You know, like, I, I think what happens is people, people just, they just take the foot off the gas. And this is not a moment, you know, where, where a foot can come off the gas. What so fucking ever. Um, so it's interesting. I remember listening to um, Parker Posey talk about something and she she expressed sort of a, nothing to do with this. This was probably a year ago. Uh, uh, sort of a, a reticence to get involved. She's like, I'm. I'm an actor. I, I, I want to go to set and do my work, and then I want to disappear. And I, I see that. I understand that. I mean, I, I've, I've done that. I've I've been that guy. I just don't think that that can happen anymore. You don't. You don't need to. You know, shout your message from the rooftops. But, but we we all. Um, I me mean, personally absolutely deeply committed to to making sure
0: that this um, this change is lasting and gets done. One thing that uh, our mutual friend and, and coach, John Rosenfeld, talks about that I really, um, that really gives me purpose, I feel like, is just that idea of tend to your own acre. You know, it's, it's really easy to think that like, how can I help change the world? And, I, and yeah. that seems so external. But I think starting with, just your own life and and, and and what you do on a daily basis. So for me, some of the biggest areas, along with the real simple and easy ones, donating, posting on social media, having some tough conversations, asking myself some tough questions. But for me, I've seen it in, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher. And I realized that I had to take a lot of ownership that, uh, you know, I, I mostly have assigned white authors uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and with white leads, not exclusively, but I have a diverse class yeah. and and that 's not acceptable that that's a that 's a lack of imagination on my part. that is a privilege of seeing a world that mostly looks like me and so yeah. that 's an area where I feel like okay i can I can do better there, and I can help the people who are the closest in my life that I have a, a charge in helping yeah and then another one is just like in the media that I consume um, and just making sure that you know. Like uh, Ava DuVernay's When They See Us. My wife and I wanted to watch that so many times, but it also has that, man, that sounds sad. You know, we could just turn on um, Schitt's Creek. We could just turn on The Office again. And to just say, well, maybe, maybe the idea of media as easy or hard is the ultimate privilege. And maybe we need to just make sure to, you know, make our media diet a, a more diverse intake.
1: Um, Certainly, we, we uh, yeah, Brian, it's, it, you see what's happening. What's been happening in our world, the, the stories that are being told now are wonderfully different than the stories that were being told five years ago.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so that's already underway. How, how can storytelling reflect what's actually fucking happening? Um, and the light, the fun, you know, the shits creeks of the world, the offices of the world, um, wonderful escapes, but, and everyone needs it. Everyone needs an escape. Everyone needs some, some place to go to when they want to, you know, feel comfy and cozy. But, but you're right about it, uh, about there being, you know, listen, man, some folks can go there faster than others or have the luxury to go there at all. Yeah. So I think you're right about, it starts with personal mindfulness about your own, yeah you're taking ownership on a granular level taking a fucking forensic analysis of of one's own stuff first down to the words we use yeah. and then um and then to roll that out to 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 have that in mind going forward is i think the only on a on a moment to moment basis not one day not a couple days but forward right yeah. it's all about forward the the, the the winds have shifted direction, man. Like the genie's out of the bottle, but but how does it how does it stay out of the bottle by taking action in the way in which you in which you describe? I mean, I think there's no time to be comfortable anymore, and just be like, oh, that's something. I like, let's turn on the the TV and see what's happening in the world. We, we are the world. We, you know we're, we're part of this whole damn thing, and to um, to imagine otherwise is um, is what got us here in the first place. So fuck it. You know,
0: I also think just the platform we have as as artists. You know, whether it's for me and who I have on a podcast. But like, I remember I was a, I was at a film festival, uh, Dead Center in Oklahoma, okay. and uh, there was a short that was in there that was really brilliant. Um, two Asian American filmmakers. It was their first short ever. And you know who the star of this thing was? Fucking mm. Melissa Leo. Wow. They sent her this script and she fell in love with it. And she said, I want to tell this story and I want to amplify these two voices. And it got them to a really wonderful festival right off the bat. And it makes me think of actors have the ability uh, with some amount of platform or name that if you find a script or a story or or a storyteller that you want to help that there's an ability to help them be seen on a whole other level. By doing the thing that we love to do, which is tell stories, but not yeah. just always doing it for you know the biggest audience all the time. Sometimes it's about finding people who who, uh, who are just starting out and saying, "I'm gonna I'm gonna be a part of your world." Well,
1: yes, out. yes, certainly. If you have the ability to to send the elevator, you know, down and then and then send it back up, like I don't know, was that a Jack Lemmon expression? I think uh, so. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Jack Lemmon or Kevin Spacey. Lemon to, to spacey spacey to, to, to other people but um, to, to do what you 're saying is to and, and this is uh, this is i think to, to a larger point the the, the the desire to act decisively and immediately is is real, and you know we 've done that we go to protests we we've we become one of these bodies in the streets to help you know make the crowds bigger um, to help send the message uh, but maybe a little bit of time, too, and sort of, you know, sort of waiting for that, I mean, we can't afford to wait too long, but waiting for that right opportunity, that right story, that that right thing to do next is, you know, for an actor who has that ability, a more impactful way to, you know, c- to c- continue the message. Cause raising the voice now is all, is all well and good, but you know, where are we going to be in a month? Where are we going to be in three months? So maybe the things we do now, the decisions we make now that take a little time to shoot and edit, whatever, and get rolled out in three to six months, that keeps the, that keeps the the movement going forward, you know, that keeps keeps those things alive. So it's sort of a, I think it's a tricky balance, but very doable of immediate action with sustained effort. Sustained. Yeah.
0: You know, um, I feel like we can wrap up this part because, again, I don't think that we are the main people to be leading this discussion necessarily. But I will say I watched the uh, the new Chappelle. Um, it's weird to call it a stand-up special. Netflix released it last night. It's uh, it's called 846, oh. and it's for the eight minutes and 46 seconds that that officer kneeled on Mr. Floyd's neck and murdered him. And that is a powerful Uh, about half an hour. And I would love to encourage anyone listening to this to go seek that out. Uh, It is a really, it is a remarkable um, piece of work. Excellent, Uh, I I didn't know he dropped a new one. Um, Yeah, it dropped like last night at midnight. Uh, My wife and I were in bed and we're like, oh, when did this come out? And what's (laughs) amazing, it's actually a piece of history. It is the first concert of any kind to happen in America since COVID. And it was done, it was recorded on June 6th. So seven days ago, it was done yeah. in Texas at an outdoor theater. Everyone had to wear masks, sit very far spaced apart. He was distant from everyone else. And that was, that's going to wow. be in the history books. It's a pretty uh, impressive thing. So um, I hope. Fantastic. That um,
1: out. Excellent, man.
0: Yeah, we yeah. will do. The, uh, you know, there's another thing going on right now, which is COVID, obviously. And, mm-hmm. um, and it is sad and there's a, there's a lot to talk about with that. But one thing I try to do with anything is look for a silver lining. And the silver lining I see is, I think that allows for this moment to last longer because there are fewer distractions. Yes. There are fewer, there is no movie, no sport, no new reality television show. This is the moment. There's nothing to take our eye off of this. And I, and I, and I yeah, hope that helps.
1: Right. Yeah, well, that's right. I, I think there, we, we have no choice but to roll around in it. No, no choice, and thank God for that, right? We, you're right. We can't distract ourselves. I think this is um, this is the I hate to use the word the term perfect timing, but this is the perfect timing of it that allows it to to um, to to rocket forward. Uh, yeah, and I, I, we, the, the the images, the stories, they're inescapable from our lives. The communications we have with people. Um, i don 't know about you, but you know mine have been slimmed down to sort of the you know family and very close friends. everyone is doing their own version of of that you know sheltering in place but so when you go to reach out to to folks to get some sort of a human connection you can't not it's, it can 't not be the the first thing i 'm talking about george floyd I'm, and, and, and I mean it was covid now it's we 're all captive audiences to what 's happening. Um, which I think you're right. I think this is going to make it um, all that more lasting. In fact, I, I think, I think this is, I
0: don't know, perhaps some sort of, um, you know, meant to be type situation. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about COVID too, because you were presumed positive, right? You and your wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we,
1: we were, I I got sick. Um, I got sick in the middle of February, just after, uh, just after valentine's day and there was a whole week you know the, this is the, the network pilot season condensed into sort of the mid, four weeks in february kind of you know a little in march little in january but for the most part it was the month of february i had to um i had to just push everything off for the entire week you know self-tapes were happening but they were still like oh you know we have multiple sessions so we're going to be we're going to be seeing people, you know, in a few days or next week. So i um, very fortunate to get auditions to begin with, but even more fortunate that I was able to push a couple things off. But it was, um, it was so early in the process that uh, by the time I got over it, which was in the first week of March. So about three weeks in, I mean, I'd already passed it to my wife. She got it three, four days after, after I did um, hers lasted six weeks. So, oh God. Um, you know, I, I got, I felt fine in early March. I was certainly fine enough to go back to auditions, but there was no, there was no social distancing. There was, there was no masks. I mean to, to me it was just and listen, it still could be a horrible respiratory illness that matched every every criteria you know uh, uh, of one that has COVID. Um, and by the time my wife was in her fifth week, she had tested negative like at that point, if you hadn't traveled to these four countries or come in contact with someone who was COVID positive and have traveled to these four companies, you, you, you couldn't get tested. So eventually they began to relax those, but only after she tested negative for four other things, like pneumonia, influenza, a couple of other things. So it was like, then she had to wait two weeks and then she could go in and you know, by the time it was number five, um, you know there, there wasn't enough virus to show up on the, on the brain scrape
0: so uh, that's the doctor, that's the nasal swab that the like, nasal feels swab. like it's in the back of your throat basically yeah so yeah far back, Which, right? by the
1: way you know listen there's lots of misinformation from what i've picked up uh and my wife's great friend is a doctor she said you know it, it's you gotta sort of get it in there and you gotta swab it around you gotta twist it the right way you gotta make sure you're getting what you need to get you can't just jam it in there and take it out and we, we had a tech it was her first her first day doing it because she was being coached to how to do it. So I'm not saying the tech necessarily did it wrong. It's possible. Uh, more likely my wife uh, just was at the end and just didn't have the viral load. So long and heard of it is her, um, her physician who was monitoring us all the whole time said, listen, we're, we're presuming you guys positive and just stay at home for a while. So that's what, um, that's what we've been doing. We've, we've come in contact with hardly any people. Uh, we did get an antibody test and we tested negative and her doctor said, well, not all antibody tests are ready for prime time. So basically we know nothing. We don't even know if immunity actually immunity is not conferred from, from what I understand long and short of it is if we had it, I don't want to get it again. And if we didn't, I don't want to get what I had again. So, um, you know, to, to that end, as things open up here and, um, we, we see some cases going up in various States. And Hollywood attempts to get, uh, you know,
0: as early as Friday today, the 12th. Yeah, it's t- well, this is the thing that's crazy. You know, um, right before we started talking, um, I just saw on Twitter uh, someone start to release what are they calling it? The Safe Way Forward, a joint report of the DGA, SAG AFTRA, Yahtzee, and Teamsters for COVID 19 safety guidelines. Okay. and uh, I haven't gotten to read through this whole thing yet it is long I mean this is a this has a lot of parts to it I think it's 36 pages of, of relatively dense stuff on it but it's I'm not gonna lie it's terrifying it's terrifying the way they're taught. you know it's it's all based on testing which i think is good let me be really clear I think that's a wonderful thing but you just described what the test is like and that's what I've heard from people I know who have had covid and and who work in health is that this is not an easy test that is a wildly uncomfortable test that is not always um, accurate. And that this is all based on everyone being tested all the time and that there are different zones for production. Zone A being anyone who cannot practice social distancing or use PPE, which is basically Mm -hmm. actors. That's us. And then zone B is everywhere basically in production that you can do social distancing. And then zone C would be anyone involved in production, their houses, their hotels, etc., And that if you leave from one zone to the other within 24 hours, you have to get tested again. And on one hand, I want to get back to work. I want us all to get back to work. I know people are hurting, Yes, but that also don't other people need those tests. Don't, don't, you know, old folks homes need those tests and are people going to really get tested if it's that uncomfortable constantly. It's, I, I just think that there's a lot of, yeah, it's a yeah. lot. It's just really hard, and I and I really value the hard work that people have done to figure out this. But yeah. I wish it made me feel like there was more clarity or safety in it. I guess is the uh, is the long and the short of it. Did it did it say anything about you know I I
1: understand how a film. All right, we're gonna go shoot this film for four weeks in um, such and such a town. Two weeks of uh you know of self quarantine before you arrive. That's sort of an open-ended, or sorry, a closed-ended thing. What? What about a TV series? You know, what about a network series where you're shooting, ideally twenty-two a year, nine months? How how does that like? How does that work? You're going to go back to your spouse. You're going to go back to your kids, if you if you have either, or or maybe you'll see a friend. Maybe you'll isolate the whole time. You'll just go from work to to, to home. But but if you come in contact with with anybody. you know, and that's someone you live with is seeing all their friends. And and what if you're on location? Do you have to move the whole family because you can't fly back and see them for a weekend type of thing? I mean, I'm listen, I'm, we don't have to get into the weeds here on this podcast. I'm sure by the time it this comes out, we'll all have educated ourselves. But I am curious about how to solve for these certain things because you're right. Everyone wants to get back to work, man. I mean, I've been climbing the walls for a while. I was in Chicago shooting an NBC pilot called Ordinary Joe when all this happened and we got one day of filming in the plug was pulled and we all had to fly home. So, you know, there's lingering questions. Will we do that? What's that? I'm sure there's going to be rewrites because certain scenes have lots of extras and, and lots of close bodies. So how's that whole thing going to work? There's, I have a lot more questions than I think answers are being um, um, presented, but you're right. People have been working like crazy to, to get back, and i do trust that they leaned on the epidemiologist and the they looked at the science and so my my faith is in the hands of the of of the deciders um i, I won't second guess their uh their their you know their hard work i am just curious
0: yeah no no and I, and i don't mean to say that i doubt what they're it's more just that this seems like an impossible task and i appreciate an effort towards it but um yeah yeah you know my brother writes on new amsterdam and i do yeah. not envy they're in a virtual writers room right now how do you write a hospital show in COVID? How I mean, do you write a hospital show? Yeah. And on top of that, you know, it's, it's not just how do you write the show because I mean, you write the show, but whatever season long arcs they had planned setting up at the end of last year, you have to just abandon all of that? Is every episode about? COVID? I mean, do people I want to watch that? That just seems really difficult. And on top of that, how do you get people who are series regulars to want to show up to work and feel safe when you know, there's usually guest cast rotating in and out constantly. Yeah. A hospital show has tons of extras. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. We were actually shooting. I went with my brother when he shot his last episode of Last Season. We yeah. were there the last week of February in New York. We flew back. Yeah. The next writer got COVID on the set. I mean, I feel like we were, we missed it by like a, a by a moment and I feel very thankful.
1: Well, that's, it, it, it's funny you say that because when I flew into Chicago on um, on March 9th and a few days prior, the Fox show, Manny Cotto show next was uh, John Slattery. They were wrapping the prior week and they had someone on there. This was why they reported someone in their on their production team, a line producer. I actually, I actually don't know, but so-and-so producer um, flew in from LA with COVID and was in the offices for two, three days and then flew back. And so there, there was, you know, oh God, we're, we've occupied their, their, now vacated rooms or, or, part of it, or they were they were across, the CineSpace campus in Chicago at this other building. So there were, you know, there was decontamination happening over there, and who, who did that person see? And I mean, at this point, no one really knew much of anything except there was just this this sense of creep you know, this thing is creeping in and, and it was wild, man. We, we, we knew it was coming. We felt the plug was going to get pulled. And, um, you know, then Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson announced and the NBA announced. And then 24 hours later, we were all on a plane, uh, back, or it was 48 hours. I I can't really remember. But so, so to that end, when that was happening in New Amsterdam, it was happening in Chicago and, um, just tease that out all, all over. And, uh, and you know, and what's to say that's, that's not going to happen again. So I am excited to get back to work, but whatever that looks like, I don't expect
0: work to necessarily
1: look the same anytime soon. Um, I'm really excited
0: to see what the NBA does, because to me, that is maybe the closest approximation to what we do. Cause they're talking about creating a bubble and having yeah. a certain number of teams that are going to live there for about three to five months. Mm-hmm. And you know, the NBA, you are touching each other. There's bodily fluids okay. going You're everywhere. Breathing all over each other the whole time. And it's also a production. You know, there are cameras. There are, there are mics. There, there, there's the whole entertainment apparatus surrounding a live uh, event. And I feel like yeah. if, if they can figure it out, that, 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 that will help everyone else kind of continue moving forward. So I think it's, I think it's pretty amazing <laughs> what they're trying to do. And I hope it works yeah. well.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply curious where we go forward from here. Um, again, I know that we will, um, I, I, you know, human ingenuity is a, is a, is an awesome thing. And I, and I, and I, I do think when, when the team pulls together, wonderful things happen, you know, in service of, of, of a greater result. Um, but you know, here we are not ourselves having gone onto a set yet and we're just ruminating and musing about sort of what, what comes next. And, um, you know, at some point soon, we'll both be on the other side of that. And we'll look back and be like, God, remember when we were thinking it was going to be this? And this, too, I think is going to be an, an ever-evolving process to try to get it right. And maybe we shut down again. Maybe we go back up again. Maybe, you know, if there's an outbreak in one city, the production in that city goes down. And then this other city's fine. And I just know that, that um, we're in for sort of a,
0: <laughs> sort of a, a brave new world until, until we have more clarity. It's, I think it's wildly true. The, the flip side of it, well, I don't know if it's the flip side. I was teaching class on Wednesday and I heard for the first time someone say, you know, things are starting to open up and I'm starting to realize all the things I could have done with this time. Uh-huh. And that I think is a conversation we're all going to have too. I think it's going to be so easy to look back on this time and think, well, we were shut down for five months. I could have learned Spanish. I could have written a book and Lord and, you knows, some people are doing that. I also think that that's a dangerous way to look at it because it's so much shame. Kind of, I feel like we are ready for a lot of. What did you do during quarantine? <laughs> and, do then, and, then, and then
1: we're sort of comparing the, you know, the the the, the size of our accomplishments to use the nice, uh, you know, <laughs> the,
0: the dick measuring it, it, of the,
1: quarantine usage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, That's that's true. You know, I, I had a notion today. I, I tend to structure my day in, uh, in there's no typical day, but but during this time. The structure has helped. There's a constant tension between, you know, being overscheduled and being, and just being free as a bird. And it depends on the day. And But I had that notion of, man, I, I don't want to wish time away. It's human nature to, to want certainty, right? Yeah. And to want some sort of clarity as to what comes next. But to that end, I, I wouldn't want to look back and be like, God, I filled my day with stuff. Some days more, you know, uh, uh, quote unquote, better stuff than others, I, I would hate to look back and, and have that feeling, but we're all doing the best we can. You know, we're, we're all doing the best we can to, to manage what, you know, to parts of the human brain are extraordinarily scary. We can't model out, you know, maybe now we can a month out, but we couldn't do that a month or two ago. And so there's a little bit of a freak out that happens. And how do I pro- provide myself comfort and stability? You know, do X, Y, and Z.
0: Yeah. And I think we get to talk about that from a relative, you know, we, I I don't think you are terrified of where your next meal is going to come from. You know, I I've had a, you know, money's not easy for me, but it also is not this terrifying thing. I think a lot of people are having to face all of this terror of what the future looks like. Yeah. While also not knowing if they're able to get unemployment. And I think that that, you know, it, it's, I think it's tough. I hope people are kind to themselves when this does start to wrap up for what they did during this time. Because I do, I think what you said is really the best is we're all doing the best we can.
1: Yes. And, and, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm, God, I'm so aware it's all, it's all relative. And by the way, you know, gosh, we've been on unemployment. It's been a, it's been a lifesaver. Yeah. You know, especially the additional um, federal $600 a week support it yeah. has been, has been, Crazy. You know, here we are in early June. That might go away. It's scheduled to go away at the end of July. There is a lot of anxiety around what happens when that goes away. Because what if production sort of, what if production is one thing, what if I don't get hired for anything until 2021? It's a very real possibility. Like, yeah, I, I don't get offers. I mean, I, I have to audition. So what if, um, you know, what if I'm not the pick until 2021, what are we going to do? And, uh, and it, yes, it's all relative, but it's, it's scary. It's scary for us. Um, and so we're on the Corona budget. We literally, it's renting groceries and, and you know, and our indulgence are like our streaming services because, because we need it.
0: That's it, man. That's literally it. I wonder what the union is going to do about health insurance personally. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I don't want to ask personally about you, but for, for me, you know, I didn't work a lot the first January and February. And then, uh, you know, production has been shut down since then. If you have to make your minimums, and you're coming up that, on the end of a year, you know. how are we gonna handle that? And I think it's partially on the union to have an answer to that, but also they need income for actors to pay dues to pay for that. So it's not like it's just a magic wand that they can wave. I know, yeah, I know, that, I know. Uh, we're, gonna see a, we're gonna
1: see a whole lot of things that, that need to be solved for. And then that's not even to say, listen, we're, we're very lucky in that, in that we're able to make our rent. If we couldn't, I'm sure our landlord would work with us, but you're going to owe it anyway. And that becomes a scary thing. How am I going to get that extra whatever when, you know, they come and ask for it in six months? Yeah. So yeah, to, to, to that end, like who's going to make allowances? Um, Cause that landlord might owe, you know, he's going to owe property tax and, and maybe there's a mortgage on the place. I don't know. It's just this big cascading effect. And, and you know, dude, we're, we are, it's so connected. We're all in this together this idea to me of like the lone wolf who doesn't need anyone else is it's just not applicable when you see how you, when you see the threads and how interconnected we all are on so many significant levels um, how can you not have empathy or a desire to be kind compassionate to be a, to be decent you know to, to to listen, to try to find solutions. It's And we listen. We could be talking about um, the movement right now on the streets. We could be talking about how we move forward with COVID. We could be talking about our field. We could be talking about anything. We are all in this together. This fucking notion that, you know, I'll take care of me. You take care of you. We'll all be fine is a crock of fucking shit as far
0: as I'm concerned. I co sign that. Uh, one last question on this kind of stuff before we uh, transition to more artistic, creative—dare um, yeah, yeah. I say, slightly more fun topics? But how do you how do you stay creative during this time? You you were saying you know you're on a strict budget. You're not seeing a lot of people. You can't go to work. How how have you found staying creative during this time?
1: I've I've actually spent and this was pre-COVID, um, or we were in COVID, but but we didn't know what it was called then. I. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I've i been writing a book. I, I was tripping over my words there for a second because it, it may end up becoming a book. It may end up simply being a three month long useful exercise. I don't know, I've never written a book before. Um, I've found it to be extraordinarily uh, <laughs> challenging, uh, annoying, invigorating. Um, cathartic. Like yank, <laughs> cathartic, I gotta yank things out of me. Uh, and and I wasn't even doing it to stay creative. I was doing it to give myself something, something to do. Not even something specifically creative to do. I mean, it is. But but I I've had this sort of I don't know, weird reserve of 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 energy that I have needed to put somewhere, um, b- besides acting for for a very long time. And uh, sort of the long and short of it, without really talking about it, because I want to be private about it until there's something to actually talk about Um, my mom died about 18 months ago from from colon cancer and uh, and she was just awesome I mean just one of my absolute favorite people on the planet so it was extraordinarily trying and and painful I come from a great family we all are very tight and so we lean on each other Um, I have an amazing wife so like listen going through it ended up being okay besides it being shitty and horrible and all that. So just sort of, I was, I've been reflecting on that and it's not like, Oh boy, this is a book about this kid's, you know, mom's death. No, it's really, but it's in, it's in relation to that. I I, listen, I'll just, I'll just say this. I love, (laughs) this is going to be so incongruent. I love comic books. I love collecting comic books, specifically golden age comic books, specifically the pre-code horror stuff. Any, any comic book fans out there know what I'm talking about. Long and short of it is I started, collecting um right around right during when i was on flash which was 2015 2016 i was doing a lot of research because i was playing this golden age character and golden age is is uh 1938 through 1955 i was playing a golden age version of flash and his first appearance was in um 1940. So I wanted to sort of, I wanted to show up and sort of, you know, know what world I was playing in, which led me to fall in love with that, with that era. And the books I started to gravitate towards were these very weird, they were non-superhero books. It was, um, Oh, sci-fi. And it was, um, it was crime. It was, um, yeah, I, I just, just the weird weirdest art, most explosive colors. I just was, for some reason was drawn, just specific, um, specific titles and specific genres. And what I wanted to tell was sort of, because I love it so much, was to sort of tell my story of, I mean, listen, like I'm a first time collector. I made a ton of mistakes and I stumbled my way through it. And there are periods where I was deeply into it. Others where I couldn't give a shit about it whatsoever. And uh, and there was a nice ebb and flow to it. Like there is to sort of lots of you know things I think life has to offer you're sort of into something for a while, then you're not, and it sort of circles back. So I wanted to sort of tell my story um, about that. And uh, and of course that weaves into the period of my life when my mom was sick and then she was better and then she was sick. And there was, there's a weird thing that happens or happened to me about, you know, as collecting ramps up or ramps down around things like that. And, uh, oh, and you know, I just, there's just a lot of anecdotes related to my professional career that kept circling back to sort of this this world. This is a really, I mean, I just fell asleep listening to myself talk. It was a very long answer. But that is sort of what I'm driving. And, and by the way, I haven't finished it. I'm, I know I'm if it's anything, I got to do a ton of work um, after the fact to sort of shape it into something remotely interesting to anyone else but myself. And uh, and we'll see if I can get there. And if not, then I have just wasted five minutes of everyone's time. Sorry, guys. I I think it's pretty interesting,
0: actually, because even if we don't, who knows whether we'll see it. I hope we do. I bet we will. But regardless, what I think is interesting is what I feel like, if I may, I feel like your answer to my question is a lot of personal discovery, a lot of like kind of inventory of self and why you are the way you are. It's um, throwing yourself into artistic hobbies and challenging yourself artistically. And I think like those are great answers of what you do with some spare time. Those That seems useful. Whether you write a book or not, you know yourself better now. You have mined, you know, real parts of yourself, and you know if that's something you were able to get from this time off, I I would say that that's going to be valuable no matter what. Well,
1: yeah, it's interesting to 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 frame it like that. I couldn't agree more. This is the the one thing that that COVID's done for for my wife and I is um, you know, because we're both gainfully unemployed, is is it did force me. To, um, to slow down, to slow down and, and you know, kind of t- to take personal inventory. What what can I live without? What, what have I been doing in this life up to date that has been me reacting to things that are coming at me instead of me making the decision to go carve my own wake, you know, in this direction or, or that direction? We get so caught up. Understandably so, man. Humans are social beings. Hey, you want to come to this? Is We got this thing coming up. This, that, this, that, you know, I like to go here, I do this, and then suddenly you know you, the routine there 's comfort in the routine, but but to stop the routine extraordinarily shocking, but it did really allow us to strip down some of the shit we no longer needed and realize you know financially where we, we can absolutely make what we have last way longer because really we needed to, and there wasn 't that much to begin with, um, but there was enough to realize like, oh my God, if we shed X, X and, and Y, then oh my, like my goodness, we can last, you know, X amount of months through COVID uh, just fine. Or, you know, this sort of mental thing I've been carrying around with me for years. I don't really need that anymore because that was, you know, that's not serving me. It was a good time to to take stock. Um, and, uh, and you know, to the end of, of, of what you're driving at with the writing. Yeah, there's, there's certainly, I think, lots to um hmm, lots to, to take with me from here. I just am I'm I'm like I'm you know I'm like motivated enough that like I it's great to get apart and go be a part of something that's being created, but it's something else for me entirely to try to create something of my own, to try to just pull something out of me and have it be something. I'm under no illusions. My name on this on the fucking book jacket, no one's gonna give a shit. Like, you know, I I'm I I wouldn't I I don't know so I mean maybe maybe someone will but it to me it's got to have substance it's got to say something it's got to be to me it's got to be funny or illuminating and certainly I've been like you know Johnny Drama where you know he's oh I had this job here I had this job here like oh that one time I did my arc on Models Inc I didn't do that but I remember that being a quote from him like you know there's like a workaday actor which is how I think of myself. You know, you're like a plumber. You go and, like, all right, you, you have, like, a – isn't that something – I might have gotten that from John. Like, you have an acting problem? I'm here to fix your acting problem. Like, what is it? You need idea. a guest star? You need someone to, like, fill this hole in your script? I'm your guy, you know? It's practical. So there's lots of those. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So um, I don't even know. Wh- I don't even know where we are right now. I was just rambling. Again, I fell asleep during my <laughs> –
0: Well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna change gears a little bit right now. Um, I really do appreciate you sharing all that But I want to change gears to something a little a little more flippant a little more uh, fun potentially Um, One thing that we've done a couple times on the show that I would love it if you could participate in is uh, we've done some worst audition stories So I'm curious whether I'll take an audition (laughs) story. I'll take a bad meeting Um, I, I you know, I've shared some before I've got some some pretty wonderful ones that i don't want to repeat but i will share one just because i like you know allowing some if i express some vulnerability you know i feel like it makes it a little bit easier so i uh when i first got started i i was at an acting class where um the suggestion was that if you were trying to um, create a relationship with some new representation or somebody you didn't know, the verb was to cream puff them, that you should bring them a bunch of cream puffs was the, uh, you know, it's a very dated concept. And so I thought, okay, sure, I'm gonna do this. And there was a specific manager I was really excited with because in that old Sam French manager book, they said that he had a lot of connections to HBO. Okay. All of this was so dated and weird. People are like, what the fuck is Sam French? Right, <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I was really excited about this guy. So I remember I was like, okay, so I got a cream puff. him. so I'm going to show up to his office. I'm going to bring a whole bunch of cookies and that'll be, you know, just to like a, you know, I, I, yeah. I would like to meet you and just here's, a, here's an offering. And I, I'm really good. At, if, if I feel like I have structure in a task, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it, you know, and that, that gives me some safety. So I bought my cookies and I didn't feel weird about it. I think I bought, too many I bought like two dozen or something like <laughs> a lot and these were not small these are like good bakery cookies I probably spent right. like a whole paycheck on them and I'm going to show up to this management company I didn't even realize that you know certain managers are actually very some are big companies but this was one person so there wasn't going to be a large staff and I get to the address and I've got my big pink box of cookies and uh, I realized, I have this horrible moment where everything just sinks, where I realize, oh, this is not an office building. This person works out of their home. And I am going to show up at their home unrequested with a whole bunch of cookies seeking representation. But I think you can't fucking stop now, Norris. So I knock on that door. And the manager, who I will not name, opens the door and he says, hello? I'm like, um, these are for you. Wow. And he's like, uh... Thank you? And I was like, I'm an actor. Uh, Oh boy. And I would love, I would love to uh, potentially work with you. Thank you. And then I tail between the legs, I leave. Uh, Needless to say, he did not ever sign me. I ran into him two years later at a party. um, And I I knew exactly who he was. And we had a couple nice words. uh, And I said, I don't know if you know who I am, but I have a funny story. And he said, oh, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's exactly <who> you are. <laughs> well impression left right you left the exactly impression.
1: it didn't amount to anything but but uh, listen you went for it i think that's a, i think that's wonderful but oh god that that sinking feeling of um you know when it's an office you can like leave it all leave, yeah. let me leave it at the front i'm just gonna disappear I'll leave a card i'm gonna disappear i'm yeah. sure he'll call me the home address is uh stuff, i stuff. mean samuel french Published this gentleman's home address. It
0: was his work address too. So okay. I mean, but yeah, I guess I, I, he. They did. They sure did. And that yellow. I mean, I even called a book. It wasn't a book. Those manager books were yeah. like pieces of Booklet. paper stapled yeah. together. Oh, yeah. Oh
1: yeah. 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 It was a. Uh, it was very very low budget. Um. I yeah. So I have a the 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 one that really comes to mind. So I lived in New York for five years before I moved to Los Angeles, and I've been here in Los Angeles where I'm talking to you for fifteen years. Um, and, uh, I remember getting, I remember getting an audition. Um, I, I guess I should back up for a sec. I was with a manager named Vic Ramos. Vic, Vic, uh, Vic Vic passed away probably 12 years ago. Vic and his partner, Sandy, Sandy's still my manager. So, uh, the, the two of them had, this was also an office that, that was out of this gentleman's apartment. Um, You know, I I would get some auditions. I I was, listen, just the real brief story is I did about two years on One Life to Live on a soap opera. Uh, It was my first job. I remarkably got hired. Uh, I remarkably got an audition, which is even sort of weirder, but um, got hired, spent about two years on the show, uh, starting from under five to recurring to contract. It was unbelievable. Uh, Run of luck. I didn't even know I wanted to be an actor until I, I got that job. We can... We can go, go there in a second. But so like, that, then I got fired because I was terrible. I mean, truly. I was good at sort of the talk like a normal person. You can spot bad acting from a mile away, just sort of. And by the way, I, I was bad. But the thing that that made the most sense to me is like, if this is actually happening to you, how would you speak? How would you talk to someone? So just speak in your normal voice. Just be, be, be a human being. Be a person. That, that made sense to me the rest of it i had no craft no technique i'd never gone to school i was i was terrified i was dancing around the edges of it i was taking voice and speech and i took a mask i mean like i wasn't doing an acting and so uh, eventually i um i started studying with william esper um i did the two year program there and while that was happening just before but then but then during i would get auditions i in new york at the time there wasn't a lot of shooting there was the sopranos which I'm 6'4 with blonde hair. I like I'm not getting on that show. You know, um uh, um let me see what uh Law and Order was for? going on
0: probably. La- I mean la-
1: listen, Law and Order was the on- was the only game in town yeah. for-, for me. Um Hope and Faith was a sitcom that ran for a year. Whoopi had a sitcom for a year. Uh and so I would get like, you know, an audition every 3 or 4 weeks if I was lucky. And slowly I began to get small parts. Couple of Law and Orders which helped. Um I did get on Whoopi as waiter. I had a couple lines as a waiter, Incredible. and then uh, so when, but like never any series regular stuff. Because it made, you know, pilot season, which was that was really the only time of year to kind of get something. So I'm fast forwarding here to like 2003, 2004, um, and uh, there was an audition for they were adding a series regular on. I think it was Jag, and if it wasn't Jag, it was whatever like the precursor to Jag was, or maybe it was Jag the precursor. Jag's to, the
0: precursor to NCIS. NCIS Okay. So it was Jag, it's the longest running, most prolific show in
1: history. Right. So Jag, for whatever reason, on some like off you know off brand month to to have a series regular audition, Jag's got something. I'm like, oh my god, like. I could be a military guy, you know, yeah. my grandfather was in the military, like all these things. So uh, I got the audition and the audition was for the next day. I spent the entire day. I worked at this little, it's closed now, but this off, off Broadway theater uh, called Manhattan theater source on McDougal, McDougal and West 8th street. And I volunteered there. And like, I was just a or like a, one of these orphans. I would just go, it was literally across the street from my apartment. I'd go there every day. They had a library upstairs, the couches, they had a cafe. It was like where, you know, actors, Went to go spend their time because we we had nothing else going on, especially in my mid twenties, which is sort of uh, when this was happening. Long story short, Jesus, Teddy, shut the fuck up. You're doing great. Is doing uh, great. I spent the entire day trying to find a costume for the audition because at Esper we were talking a lot about character, and I was it was brand new, but I was like, oh, you know what? The character is I gotta show up looking like a like a navy guy. And so instead of bothering to learn my lines or, you know, having an original thought in my head, I use the Manhattan Theater source sort of like, you know, not status as a nonprofit to allow myself access to a massive uh, prop and costume warehouse in Brooklyn. And, you know, paperwork is faxed and Oh, I'm I'm doing a, a play here, and I need naval uniforms. I mean, I made up this elaborate story, which took hours and hours. Finally, got the approval. Jumped on a subway, went there. I got one costume for myself. I showed up to the audition the next day, and it was a it was a colossal no surprise. It was a colossal bomb. I mean, I literally. I showed up dressed in a white, like a like a white navel outfit. My wife just walked in and she's on the floor. She's never, I don't know if she knows this story. Um, white navel with the brass buttons and the white suit. And I I remember looking at the other guys in the room, like no one was dressed like me. Immediately I'm oh God, I'm like, oh this I'm so self-conscious. I go in the room, I'm so bad, the pages fall out of my hand because I'm shaking so badly. No. Uh, and I don't think that office has seen me since. Um, I don't remember who uh, Bonnie Finnegan. Is that her name? I, I don't remember who cast it back then, but that was my big lesson in, in, um, Hey, dickhead, you, you, you might want to put some actual time. And I don't know that that that's the moment, but my, my source of confidence when I, um, audition is from when I have the, the, the words down cold. I won't go into an audition if I can help it and look down at the page. I think if I show up with it um, licked, then that gives me the freedom to sort of play. I've since had to give myself some freedom to not be so rigid because if I can't get it, I can't get it, that, that's what the pages are for. I can't tell you how many casting people have said, I don't care if you need to look down and read. I, I don't, I, it does not matter to me whatsoever. Once I got that in my head, I sort of loosened up, but, but, but I know what my, where my confidence comes from and that's from preparation. And if I have enough time to prepare and I get the words in and out, then I can play, then I can be free. Then I can actually you know, um, get out of my own way. Um, and, and I'll just say this to, to, to that end, uh, that when I, sh- when I shifted my, I mean, you have to become a professional auditioner. To me, maybe that's the wrong term, but like you got to master auditioning. It's like there's auditioning and then there's like going on set and actually shooting the thing. So, one comes before the other, so I had to get that first thing right um, and uh and once I shifted that mentality into making sure that like I was mastering that, trying to master that, and then not going to the audition to get the job, I just began to imagine I already had it so then it takes the pressure off of going and needing to impress anybody um, you know there's the thing that happens when you're doing that where you're sort of assessing there's like a part of your mind that's looking around the room and assessing how am I doing? Am I good? Did I hit that beat? <laughs> then you're fucked. If that happens. Yep. You literally have to be like, you're talking to another human. You're just there. You're present. Everything's about them. You're. And so eliminating this idea of like, I'm going into the room to win the job. No, I'm going into the, to, to the room to, to be creative, to act, to have a conversation. I'm going to walk in, I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave. Once I've she made that shift. There was no longer that pressure to go in and perform and, be liked and be picked. And um, yeah, so maybe that's the moment where I kind of, you know, begin to figure out, maybe, you
0: know. What you're saying is that that's the great John Hamm story about Mad Men. I mean, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but that apparently uh, Matt Weiner told him uh, before the final test, come in like you already have the job. Pretend pretend it's yours. And he Mm -hmm. apparently came in with the suit, with the hair. He just, pretend it's a day on set. It's just the execs need to see it.
1: That's that's incredible because that's exactly right. I, I think there's something I imagine if I'm sitting where the casting or producers are sitting, if I can pluck that person right out of the room and drop them on the set right now, if, if, if they, you know, can confer that sort of, um, you know, confidence or, uh, you know, to me that like this person is ready to go. They're ready to go now, ready to go first. they They're 7am tomorrow morning when we need them. Then, um, then, then why would I not try to do everything I can to sort of to, to do that? And that includes, I mean, at that point, if I'm flashing forward, you already have the job. There's no pressure to be that thing. You
0: are that thing, so just go in and be that thing. And yeah. that's, that's served me well. Because I, don't, I, I, I know I've suffered in my life from wanting to use an audition to prove to myself, to the world, to the casting director, that I am great you know, like, like that, that I can be <laughs> phenomenal, especially coming out of school. Oh God, I felt like yeah. that one was like, this is, this is proof that someday I'll be Daniel Day-Lewis or some bullshit like that. And <laughs> honestly, know what no one wants to see in an audition is how great an actor you are. They want to see the person. They want somebody who's going to show up tomorrow and help them make their day and yeah. do it well, and that's it. And so they don't yeah. want to see a great actor. They want to see the character. They want to see someone do the job. We're people, we want to see people be
1: people and warts and all, and, um, and I think that, that that's a great note. Like, you you are a phenomenal actor. Just let me just see more of the person underneath. And that's like, oh yeah, my God. Then there's no, there's no going out and proving anything. Um, but I will say this, th- this is an easy thing to feel when there are multiple auditions, because then you can have that luxury of being like, you know what, I'm gonna experiment today. I'm gonna do it this way today. Or I've had so many bad ones that I have to make a change. Um, it's an extraordinary place to, you know, to, to be, to, to have, to have those opportunities. So I will say like, I got there, I got there the hard way and I was lucky, you know, I came out to Los Angeles when I was 28, like every pilot lead had a white 28 year old guy in there somewhere. So um, I was fortunate that I got, I got enough bad auditions to realize like something's got to change. Cause if I, if I, and actually the first job I got here, just, I'm just remembering this. This is a good audition story. The first job I had here was one where I didn't spend all night before cramming. Um, the first, sorry, the first audition I had uh, of, of something I booked, it was a show called Justice, which was the Bruckheimer show that Victor Garber was on and Catherine Lanasa in 2006. And I just got to um, Ron Cress's office early and I sat in my car for 30 minutes and luckily it wasn't two very long scenes, but it was enough where I could, I was like, let me just, let me just go and like pick it up off the page and then I'll go in there and I'll, and I'll do it. And I, I was like, Oh shit. And I got hired. I was like, maybe I don't need to be so crazy about these auditions when I get them. Maybe I can just be a person and some auditions
0: require more time to prepare yeah. than, than others. And it's not a one size fits all. You were talking just a few minutes ago about how you just, you, you in an ideal world, you want to know all the dialogue. You really want to, you want to have that down. Um, I find that every day, the older I get, it just gets a little bit harder. um, That my brain was so elastic. I remember being a 17 year old in high school. I got to play Macbeth. I was probably the youngest Macbeth ever. Um, But I remember that it wasn't that hard to learn all those lines. And that now that just seems like just a very daunting task. I'm curious, what is your, um, what's your method for that?
1: Yeah. Um, to me, well, maybe this is just how it is. It's a muscle like anything else. So, um, I've had the great fortune of having a somewhat consistent uh, ability to go to work for the last, you know, for the last ten years. And some years are busier than others. But so I feel like that muscle, uh, I that that in, in auditioning has helped keep that muscle strong. So there's there's that. It, it is a little harder. I'm 43 now. It is a little harder. Um, I'm best in the morning. I get up early and uh, it's like my my brain first thing in the morning is a sponge. So if I can just, I just I just do it over and over and over again. I do it over again, I do it over again, I do it over again.
0: Is this and you, it- uh, do you like cover up the page? Are you doing it um, with choices or devoid of choices? Are you doing it audio lead? Do you have an assistant? Does your wife read it with you? Is there? Yeah, the, the fastest way I'll learn something is
1: if I read with someone um, and so, she is extraordinary in helping get to, she, she's extraordinary, extraordinary in seeing the scene. You know, seeing the shape of the scene. And here's where it takes off, and here's where, you know, you uh, you seed control, or, or now you take over, or or whatever. Um, so that tends to accelerate. If I have a day, I'll go into the corner for a while, and then I'll come out and then we'll read it. If I have three days, if I have five days, if I have seven days, then I'd spend a lot of time on, on it um, myself especially if there's, if there's speeches, I got to say those speeches over and over and over again. And then this weird thing begins to happen. Like, you know, thoughts begin to thread from line to line. And uh-huh. that, that helps. When I was a, a, at Bill Esper, he was always about, you know, learn the lines, wrote, learn it, wrote, just drill it, drill it, drill it. That I find is, is helpful to a degree. But yeah. if I'm not putting something behind it, I'm not saying my choices are solidified, but if I'm not putting some POV or some, thing if there's not something behind it an exposition's tough if you're saying it you know so the audience can know that uh, the murder victim was 34 and whatever like whatever law and order or csi thing Um, in other words if there's something i can put behind it it has to happen that's the only way that it can stick but what i end up doing more than anything is i learn the other the other person's lines because i'm not i don't want to wait for them to stop talking i don't want i don't learn keywords i learn i learn the whole thing i learn their words and I cover up my section and I read their words so I can sort of test myself on on what comes next. So I do a lot of work on my own and then the test is like, I run it with Melissa and then that's when it really gets in there. And um, yeah, for, for me, it's just it's just drilling. It's just drilling. And, and drilling with, you know, with like, it's like present drilling, which is the title of my memoir. Present, no it's not, But but you know, to that end it's uh, it's hard sometimes it just becomes sounds and words there's a weird thing though that happens too if i i can pick it up okay i can get it and then i can put it on tape if i spend any more than i don't know 10 to 30 minutes on it this sort of weird amnesia sort of comes over me then i start to sort of think about the words themselves like wait did i say we there or did i say i there and then it starts to get i start to get in my own head and then I had to sort of build, like builds, I gotta build it back up again, brick by brick. And then, so it's, if, if it's not a cold read, I gotta have some time with it. Cause there, I, I will just begin to, it begins to get soft. It's, it's, it's there, then it's not, and then it's there again. But for it to be there again, I need to, I need to put the work in, um, which is exciting. That's something, you know, that's been hard during COVID is um, that my, my you know brain's gotten a little squishy there. I haven't had the, the practice.
0: You know, I was talking to a friend and actress, Samara Weaving, and we were talking about kind of what, where the work is and... Who's amazing. Yeah, she's wonderful. She's a hell of an actor. Um, But it's funny just how again and again and again, people are like, you know, what, how do you do it? What matters to you? And I really think that on some level, almost everyone who wants to be in this business underestimates how long it takes and how much discipline it takes to just learn your fucking lines, which will allow you to do all the work that you really want to do. I feel like, you know, I, I, I teach a lot of classes and, and, and that is one of the most consistent things is people want to be doing great work while they're kind of discovering their dialogue. And it's like, you need to have that so well that you can literally do other things yes. and not think about the dialogue at the same time. And that's the foundation. That's just, yes. that's part one. Yes. And uh, I, I think because it's banal and mundane and kind of boring people uh people people' don't do it. that also might be um underestimating the fact that also people are very busy you might be working four different jobs just to make ends meet, so it's not the easiest thing to put in all that time, but no, I, I do no. think we undersell it uh, in the name of talking about great choices and things like that
1: well, yeah, and and the temptation is to go right to the words and to assume the scene. This is the first thing I learned I mean with John is like was that whole crazy thing of like, wait, 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 so the scene is not about the words that are on the page yep. what do you mean like i and that, that really cracked it open for me, like, oh my God, it's all about all the other stuff you're doing. And this is also Bill Esper 101, which was like your independent activity. Independent, you've gotta be doing something. You're not staring at someone, unless it's one of these things where you're like, I need to get through to you, so I'm staring at you, so you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth. You're gonna be doing something. You're gonna be building something, you're gonna be moving something. There's, I mean, talk about getting to, to a set and, um, and, you know, you gotta look around, like, what, what are the props? What am I doing? You know, the director is going to say, OK, guys, uh, so I see you. I think you you come here. Maybe you come in from here. Or what do you think? Like, you show us what you want the scene to be. And that's when you got to come in and be like, OK, I, th- I, th- I got to cross here. And that's the wonderful, beautiful thing of working it out with another actor is like that's what you can't do in an audition is you get to set and then you're working with the props and you got to cross on this line. And you need to, you know, you got to you got to say the line as you're hitting this place because then someone else is going to come in and there's you know that's when the, the dance happens, the coordination happens. Which I remember, I did I did an episode of this very short-lived Jeff Goldblum show for NBC called Reigns.
0: Oh, I remember uh,
1: Reigns, yeah, yeah. And I think I think it went six or seven. And I'm playing a hairdresser. And um, the guy who directed the episode was, uh, was Paul Michael Glazer from from uh, from uh, what's the one? What's the one? Uh, Starsky and Hutch. He's oh yeah, he's a great director great actor. And, you know, uh, you know, Reigns comes in and Goldblum comes in and he's asking questions about someone. And I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of doing something, but I didn't know that, you know, when I audition, I was just there talking to him. When I got to set, I was kind of lost. And he's like, here, shuffle this, deck, shuffle this deck of cards. And I want you to get it from, you know, shuffle it by suit and shuffle it by order and then say the lines. And that made all the difference. He's like, cool. So now you're going to do that. And you're going to like be organizing your contacts because you have a, you have a break and you're finally, You know, this is the stuff that actors need to come in with because luckily I got a director who took me out of my own head and made the scene about more than talking to Jeff Goldblum about where the murder victim was on the day. I was there. I'm not there to talk to Goldblum. I'm there to do my work. What's my work? My work is alphabetizing my contacts because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a shitty hairdresser and I need more clients. I mean, like whatever it is, we need to come in with, we need to come in with bold ideas um that's the actor's job learn the lines, show up on time and have a head full of ideas i think tom hanks said that in his, was that the in his past award season he, oh, was yeah. some, he got some you know lifetime award and that's what he said and then he said and then you have to go there and that's the whole other
0: thing that's the whole other learn. part yeah. you know i was um i did a hulu show with abigail spencer and it was really fun watching <laughs> her on set because it seemed like i mean obviously she did a whole bunch of other work before she even got there but it yeah. did seem like they were consistently two parts to the process that at least I was privy to, which was talking with the director about like, what is the story we need to accomplish here? Yeah. Um, but then the other piece was that very practical, what is my business going to be? And you could yeah. see her looking around the set for what she was going to play with and exactly when it was going to happen and how she was going to imbue that activity with whatever kind of subtext or life she needed. And it was, it was really clear really cool to see how it's like okay that building block is in there and then that building block is in there and that foundation allows for all the other work that she's done and the character that she's been building to just exist so easily and and to just see that process kind of repeat itself again and again and realize like there is method to that madness yeah and this is where series regulars have it have just
1: an advantage over a guest actor who's just dropping in they know the set they know the set, they know the camera folks, they're all friends, there's no nerves. You know, you can't get it wrong, this is your world, you know? And you have the advantage of, of having played the character for the previous X amount of weeks or years. And so there's this thing that percolates when you read your script, because you, your brain automatically starts firing, okay, this scene is in this room, so maybe I'm doing this. And as a guest cast, you you land and you're like, first of all, you feel like the, you know, the, the new kid in school, Everyone uh-huh. already knows each other and they're friends with each other. But then you have this sort of notion of like, oh my God, I don't know the orientation of the set. I don't know where to come in. I, I don't even know who I am. I just got this job last night and yeah. now it's 7am and I'm on set. So also I will say to, if there are any actors listening, like you got to be kind to yourself and you have to know coming in that there's that sort of, you know, thing to reckon with, but also that it's okay. Every single person. And if it's a great set, they will make you feel comfortable and make you feel like you can do no wrong. And there's some sets that are like that and some sets, you know, that don't give a shit who you are and they're behind and they just gotta go to work. Luckily, my experience has been, it's way, way, way fewer, way fewer bad sets. Everyone is so grateful to have a job that um, you do find that most everyone, I, to me, is pleasant and sunny. And there's always, you know, the big shots who aren't. And there's the big shots who are, and you're like, you, that's just a reason you're, you work all the time. You're fucking awesome. And you treat everyone kindly. Um, but but yeah for for actors who are listening who maybe haven 't gotten there yet or um just know that it 's it 's all okay it 's just sort of part of it, and now, I mean, I guess star now i'm i i 't been a series regular for a few years, so i 'm the guy coming to set and i 'm like ooh i don 't know like you guys have your click or but but i 'm i 'm not afraid to sort of be really bold because I do think actors need to take over and say like what what are we trying to get through to to the audience in the scene? where do we need to go where does where 's the shift and then let 's have fun with it um that 's a that 's a fun thing that being at it long enough has afforded me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wanna go go backwards for a little bit with you. Um, Cause uh, I guess I'm curious, you know, how did you, one thing that I I learned is that you've got a degree in business management, right? That's what you did in college. So how do you become an actor? I mean, I've heard some of the actual like pragmatics once you're getting to the soap opera and to William Esper, but you know, were your parents creatives were, how did you find your way? And, and, and has that business management degree uh, been useful for you? Or do you feel like that was uh, kind of just a cul-de-sac in your life? No, uh, that uh, good
1: question. My folks, uh, listen, I'm from the D.C. area. And no one from the D.C. area that I can think of outside of a guy named Kenneth Feld, who at one time ran Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Circus. You know, but that's on the business side. Um, but that was in the sort of the, the you know, entertainment field. Maury Povich is from the DC area. Um, but uh, so I, I had no one to sort of turn to as sort of examples of, of that. In fact, it was, I remember coming home from New York and, you know, having my parents' friends or friends of my, or my parents' friends or my friends' parents being like, so when are you going to quit this acting thing and go, you know, go get a real job. Like, go go work in business. And that just made me feel even more like, you know what, fuck this. Like, come on that's just shitty. Yeah. Like uh, my choices aren't legit because I am not doing the same thing that you're doing, which actually just sort of empowered me more. Um, My mom was a teacher. My dad was, my dad was a, he did a lot of things, but the last 25 years of his career, he was a director of marketing for a real estate company. Like he wasn't a realtor. He just did their ads. He wrote their copy. He placed their ads. So he worked for J. Walter Thompson in New York um, in the mid 50s. So like he had that ad background. And he was the one first one to be really like encouraging of me acting. And, you know, he knew the commercial world in and out from hiring talent and writing spots and stuff. And he's like, listen, there's this thing called residuals. And you know, that I was, so I had a lot of support. Um, And uh, I had friends from college who went into business. They, they, they went into, they were like, you know, I don't know. They were investment bankers uh, in New York. Um, These were guys I knew from, high school and some guys from college. And so when I moved to New York because I was close to DC and it was just a weird thing. I had a high school friend who worked for bank of America, sent out a mass email, like, listen, I'm getting transferred from San Francisco to New York. I I need, I need two roommates. Does anyone know anyone? And I wrote back, I was like, I'll take one. It was perfect timing. And, um, and because this guy knew that I was acting or trying to act and, you know, I, 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 I came up with six weeks worth of money. So I was like, I'll get something in six weeks. I mean, what I got was a catering jobs. That's that's what I got. But but you know, sort of desperation, sort of being a a, a driver here. Um, you know, no no, no one was going to bail me out. No one was going to come to my rescue. I wasn't going to call my folks for money. That's that's bullshit. They put me through high school, a private private high school, and college. Like I no, this is my choice. I'm I'm going to own it. So I just I just had a friend who was uh, who was a model and he was like, yo, how about, and I would be lying to you if I said that that, that wasn't what I wanted to to do too. In fact, if I'm being honest with myself, I, I didn't want to be an actor at all at 23 when I moved to New York. I thought the idea of like, you know, wearing nice clothes and standing in a fucking field for L.L. Bean sounded like a good way to make a living. I mean, it's amazing my parents were like, all right, buddy, I, you know, really? But they did. Uh, that, you know, there's something to be said about making your own mistakes. So a friend was like, listen, come to New York. I'll introduce you to my agent. So I found the apartment. Um, I went to New York. I, I remember taking the bus and um, he introduced me to his agent, the modeling agent. And I uh, was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a try. That modeling agent got a phone call from One Life to Live one day and was like, listen, we're hiring this. We need like a shirtless bartender for a Valentine's Day episode. And, you know, send us send us 10 of your guys. So I was one of the guys. I had no, this is my, this story drives my wife crazy because she's a long time actor, loved it in high school. And I was like, I, I, I fell ass backwards into it. Um, I, I remember auditioning because I thought it would make for a good story to tell my grandkids one day. Like, oh, I once lived in New York and I had an audition and life is funny. And, uh, and I, it, was two page, it was a two page scene. And I remember trying to learn it the best I could. I had no headshot. They took a Polaroid of me when I was in the room.
0: Polaroid, right, My wow. agent
1: at the time wrote up a fake resume that said I studied scene study here and, you know, commercial classes there. And, uh, and I, I don't think they cared. I think it was just to legitimize getting me in the front door. So I went, I auditioned and I don't know how, but I got picked. Um, and I went to work the next day or day after. Uh, no, that's not true. This was just before, this was just before the Christmas holiday. Um, I went up in November of 2000, got this job. Um, I remember calling my mom and being like, one well, night to live. I used to watch that when you were a kid. Or like when you were a baby, we put you down. And then, you know, my sister and I would go watch it. So that was extraordinarily cool. And then I remember going to set in January of 2001 and uh, and just falling in love. I loved the pace of it. I loved uh, it. was. I remember thinking like during blocking, like it was moving so fast. No one was slowing down to make sure that I got it. You know, Not, this train was... They shot one episode a day and, uh, and it went and I was terrified. I was terrified. I've always had, it's been better now because I've just been practicing for forever, but stage fright, stuttering, speech impediment as a kid, I was convinced that I was going to get up there. And when it was time to say my line, nothing was going to come out. I was going to get laughed at and I was going to, I was, in fact, I spent the entire morning and afternoon just pacing the hall, saying my line over and over. I couldn't say, I couldn't relax was the last scene of the day. We got to it. Ended up being fine. And, um, and it was just such a, I just loved it. I loved, and I was like, I want to do this all the time. And very, very luckily for me, this very small shirtless bartender part. Um, there were a lot of young, a lot of 22, 24-year-olds on the show. I was just, I was that age. And they just kept bringing me back and put me in scenes with them. And, you know, this, like I mentioned a million years ago, under five, which was five lines or less, which was one pay grade.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We turned into recurring, which was slightly more money because I'd shown up and said more than five lines. And then, um, after a year they offered me a a four year contract and I didn't even last my full first year. I, there was a leadership change and they didn't know what to do with me and I wasn't good. And, uh, but it it exposed my weaknesses and it sort of, there was sort of a moment where I was like, if I'm going to do this, you know, am I, am I going to make this commitment? And if I'm going to make the commitment, I got to get some teaching. I gotta, gotta get some craft. And so that's when I went to, to Bill Esper and, um, and when I wasn't doing that uh, in school and trying to get a law and order, I, I was doing TV commercials. I was very, very lucky. I mean, there really wasn't this cable thing that we know of. It was like, if you got a spot nine times out of 10, it was a national network spot, which meant it was rerunning, which meant a check would show up every week. And sometimes those checks were enough to cover next month's rent and sometimes they weren't. So I would cater. I would, I would, basically, that's how it started. Um, and then I sort of redoubled my efforts uh, And after five years in New York, um, I auditioned for a role on Smallville, uh, the character of Aquaman, and it was the first one, first thing I ever read on in New York that they wanted to see. The producers wanted to see me for, so I flew myself to L.A. They weren't, they weren't flying. Flew myself to L.A. Um, A friend's wedding was in Salt Lake City, uh, like the weekend before, and I was already, I was like, I'm already like most of the way there. I'll just fly myself from. So amazing, a series of amazing fortuitous things happened to get me there and then i didn't get the the smallville role but it came down to me and another guy but um the casting director was like you know while you're here you should meet my friend so-and-so She's casting and then that meeting led to a couple meetings led to a couple more and then it became pretty obvious where i needed to be so that's what moved me out to california well it's a little it, weird but that's that's how but it happened that
0: that seems that seems right though it's that mix of uh it's a mix of you got to have a little bit of luck, and the, and I do feel like there's a little bit of the industry chooses us a little bit, yeah. mixed with you then put in the hard work. You know, you, you yes. hire people, and that and that yeah. that yeah. often is the combination. You know, I was I was looking at your IMDb, and it's you've got well over, and I'm not even including the soap. You've got like well over a hundred episodes of television. I mean, you've you have yeah. put in the work, and I'm curious, do you have? a favorite role that you have done you have a best day out of all of those or or does it all start to kind of meld into you know the set that set another set i got to um if i'm being honest i'm, I'm searching
1: and I'm searching myself <laughs> i was about to say like i don't really know where to go and then it became very clear um on the politician the second season drops a week from today. So depending on when this podcast comes out, this is Friday, June 12th. So it'll be Friday, June 19th. I got to have a lot of, um, I got to spend a lot of time with Bette Midler um, and Judith Light and- um, Legends.
0: Le- Legends. I saw Legends. I saw Judith Light do wit when I was like 15 years old or something. You know, like, and it just, it, I was, oh my God, this is what people can do. Jesus Christ. So wow. She. She's so, she's so powerful
1: and fearless. And I'll say this about her. I was coming into season two, a little bit like, you know, a little unsure of things. I was still grieving my mom and the sort of, there was a little bit of a lack of clarity with work, even though politician was just starting. I knew I was only doing, you know, three or four of the, of the total, basically half the season. And so I was feeling a little funky and Judith and I, you know, we're, we were, talking and I was, I was telling her about, you know, my feelings and she just grabs me by the shoulder. I was telling her about this, you know, uncertainty I was feeling and she grabs me by the shoulder. She looks me in the eye. She's like, Teddy, fuck it. I'm paraphrasing, but no, that I'm not paraphrasing. She's like, Teddy, fuck it. It's not your job to know what comes next. Embrace the uncertainty. Fuck it. Like she just had such a, like, it's all fine it's going to be fine. Stop it. Not even talking about me. Like, Chadi, your career will be fine. I'm not, she just, her attitude was, was basically get out of your own way here. And, um, and so do I have a favorite memory? Uh, One of my, actually my favorite memories, it's from sort of, it's politician related was um, I have a bear of a day with, with Bette Midler. We're doing, we're in every scene, all day the next day. And it's, and we have, you know, we have like eight to 10 pages of stuff and it's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I haven't met her yet. I haven't seen her yet and production reaches out and she says, you know, Bet would like to know if, if if you could rehearse with her for a couple hours before you guys do your, do your stuff, you know, like the day or two before at her apartment. And I'm like, yeah, my God, I'm instantly nervous, cold sweat. Of course. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, of course. So, um, you know, they, they give me the address and, um, and I, I dropped off there. And, you know, I I go upstairs and she greets me at the door, you know, she's five foot nothing, but like, she's such a, you know, when bet is working there's she's incomparable, but in her home, you know, she's casual, casual bet. And right off the bat, she was just so matter of fact, this is a, this is a two-time Oscar nominee. This is a, I mean, I don't know how many statues she has, Emmys, Golden Globe. Tony, she, oh, yeah. she um, right out of the gate, she's like, listen, she's like, I just, just so you know, um, I, I, sometimes I see the camera and I freeze up. Uh, please go easy with me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I, sometimes I'm not sure about myself. She's like, I don't know how you guys do it in TV. She's like, I'm used to doing a page and a half a day and doing it over and over again and watching playback. There's no playback. Uh, basically, she's basically like, please be, be patient with me. And immediately I'm like, I'm like, you're not only a legend, but you're normal. And the stuff never goes away. If you have, you know, you have stuff about, you know, whatever your process is getting to your ultimate, you know, best take, it doesn't matter. Everyone's, everyone's doing the best they can. And so we spent a couple hours in her, you know, in her really lovely office and there was cheesecake and cappuccino served (laughs) when i think of new york i think of bed midler cappuccino and black and white cookies and and cheesecake Uh, so that that was extraordinary because i got to have a one-on-one yes but really more so because she is a she is a legend but she's a human being who is always trying to you know find her way into each scene it was wonderful to watch her try to is is my way in this is my way in that and she's so musical because of her singing career that she's finding she finds the music in the scenes and when it's well written which the show is there's a lot of music in it and so she's constantly she's going up and she's like you know uh going up really fast and then she goes down real low like the things that she can do for effect how she yeah. uses her voice how she uses her instrument to tell the story and then she puts on her physicality with it the way she turns she has these like sharp edges and and these looks, and she's, she's just, there's a reason why she's had a 50 year career. And um, that comes to mind when I think of sort of best days or best moments
0: or memories. I still believe that she should have been nominated for a goddamn Oscar for Hocus Pocus. Oh! I, it, watch uh. her fucking work in that movie. The entire movie exists, the heightened reality exists because yes. of her, and she has to carry Great. everybody in that. Great. and the the level of commitment
1: you see out of her in that movie is um to to what you're talking about you're absolutely right she carries the whole thing she's so i mean and this is a woman who you know admittedly she's like i I don't really know if if any of this is any good to be so good um (laughs) is also so refreshing because it's because we all have those insecurities like we, we we all don't know was that any good i mean it like felt it felt shitty and then we're like oh my god it was amazing we're like that that felt good i was like that was beyond good so but yeah that (laughs) that film she's so she's so committed she's so rapid fire how she uses her eyes um how she uses her her body oh incredible
0: yeah you know i want to ask you a little bit about the flash because um i have some friends who love that show Mm um to ask you specifically about um I mean, I think we're okay to do spoilers from season two. I hope yeah, so. yeah. Um, But there's the scene where you where where you kill the Flash's dad, and I, I first have to say that he will always be Dawson Leary's dad to me just because of when <laughs> yeah, I grew Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, uh, but right. I, I'm curious about stepping into a scene like that because obviously, very heightened emotions. Yeah. Um, and on a show like that, I imagine that even if they're going to carve out time for that thing, they, they gotta they gotta move, move, move because they're on a network TV schedule. Um, but that is such classic villain stuff. You know, that's 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 character origin shit that you are helping create for for The Flash. I'm just wondering, how do you step into something that I feel like is so classic, that is, um, you know, it almost feels archetypal, um, and to both honor the archetypes that are there while actually breathing real fucking life into it?
1: That's really, it's a- kind of you to say uh, yeah I'm, i that i i struggled not to bring that up when i was talking about sort of best experiences um because that cast is extraordinary and the show was such a gift it's an to incredible me. cast you're wonderful so, on it yeah. amazing i mean the broadway pedigree on that on that cast and a very musical cast i mean you talk every time between takes there was dancing and singing and 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 everyone liked each other which was terrific too and you can really see that on screen the, the bonds that that people have. Um, you know, I'll say it was a gift for me to do that. Gift even sounds hokey, but I mean, listen, I got to play two different, um, two different characters. I started off as this, you know, golden age, sort of aw shucks, you know, square jawed, you know, all American sort of hero doing good and doing right. And I, that I was a lot closer to me in my real life, the Jay Garrick character. And then you have this Hunter Zolomon slash zoom character who is, you know, diabolical and treacherous and, and, um, you know, with the deep sociopathy and obsession with Barry Allen. And and I haven't really brought myself to watch any of that. Um, I did watch the scene you're referring to, which is, it's one of my favorite scenes for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I came into it thinking it's gotta be this. This has gotta be the scene. And um, executing it in a way that I felt very, very good about. When you talk about how scenes evolve as you do them, and coming in with an idea that ends up you need, you need to throw away in, in favor and in service of what the other actors are, are giving you. Yeah. Which is it's all about the other actors, not about, you know, I'm here to, like, fulfill my absolute vision. Like, no, it's a, it's a dialogue, right? So what we the takes we did at first, I remember loving and being like, so good, we got it, right? Because I'll say this, that was my birthday. My wife and I have the same birthday. There was one more flight out that day. So I was thinking, like, you know, let's get through the scene so I can make my flight. That is very selfish, but I was thinking that and she didn't know I was coming home and I was going to come home and surprise her. And uh, and every time we did it again, I was kind of in the back of my head like, oh, my God, I don't know if I'm going to make this flight. I had to give up on that. You're not going to make this flight. So be here. Be now. Be here now. I will say I actually did. I did make the flight. But when I got out of my own way, which is what I'm driving towards, I got out of my own way and I sort of chucked the idea that I had. I chucked this, this sort of, you know, where I need to be in the future. And I and and I listened to what Grant Gustin was giving me, and I listened to what John Wesley Ship was sort of giving out. It ended up in this sort of place of like real menace that I think, I, and I'm, this must be why we were doing it take after take after take, was what the director was really getting at. I, you know, he wasn't directing me to do it any differently. It just, it just took this form um, that when I watch it back, even though it wasn't at all what I thought it should have been it's um it it, it it i think it perfectly encapsulates who this guy is and how how threatening he is and how obsessed he is and uh and that was a fun thing to allow it to to get there and you don't always always have that luxury like you said you got to move we got we got these other things to shoot but that was the last scene of the day we had nowhere else to be so let's do it right yeah. and um yeah and, and it was more about you know, we talk about words, much more about the words coming out of my mouth. There was a whole body like, you know, like the heat coming off of each and every person, you know, Henry is terrified and, and flash is pleading. He's crying. And zoom is just, um, zoom is like, he's like six feet all around at that point with so much, you know, rage and possession and power. And it's like, you know if we allow ourselves to like grow our energies which is a very sort of trippy hokey thing to say but i agree like you know, if we carry with us this sort of sphere of energy around us we can expand or contract
0: that and um i think that's what we got at eventually in that scene i i, I feel all of that i love that scene when i watch that i see someone with a lot of Desire and glee to like replace a father figure, basically, <laughs> and it's just like, pick me, choose yeah. this. And there's something <laughs> in like Shakespearean. There's something, there's something, um, not in the performance, but in the story, like Darth Vader esque about it. And it just, I don't know, it, it, it's it's remarkable. It's well, what and what and what's
1: it. interesting too is, um, is the pattern. You know, you develop a pattern, you develop a rhythm that you don't get the first one, two, or three times you do it because you're listening and answering. But then it becomes, you know, you're, you're like you're keeping the ball in the air. You can't let the ball, you can't catch the ball. The ball's got to stay in the air. And so by doing it, it allowed us to develop this pace. I, I knew, I'm sort of, you know, anticipating the terrible word here, but I knew when Henry was going to finish his line because I had to begin to start my line. And the, it had to happen so, it had to be frenetic too. It had to happen so quickly that it's like, no, don't do that. No, wait, hold, hold on. And the whole thing's over before it started. And the audience needs to be carried you know yeah, carried yeah. into that moment and not see what's coming and if it happens quickly and if we take all the air out of the scene and we get there then um then it can be that much more powerful and i think that's also what multiple takes uh, accomplish. and uh yeah i mean dude it is a fucking craft man like you can't just show up and say your shit like it's a it's a living breathing thing it's the wonderful alchemy that happens between people on a set
0: when they actually are there and they actually listen to each other and they actually care about the the story they're telling. Damn straight. Let me ask you a little bit more about The Flash. Really, I want to ask about around The Flash a little bit. How much, how much like green screen shit are you doing on that? And how, how does one get uh, prepared for that? Because I'll tell you, never been in an acting class where there was a green screen. You know, it's never like you get to practice that shit and then see how it all turns out.
1: Yeah, I think that was my first that was my second green screen. There was one, only one before and it was it was during, I was a a CW pilot in 2007 and it was because we shot it in Providence, Rhode Island, not Washington DC. They needed to have like the Capitol building in the background and it was just standing there. But as far as acting in front of a green screen and actually pretending that the thing that's on the green screen is it's a vortex sucking you in or it's, um, you know, it's sort of a a rip in time or whatever. It's sort of a couple things. One, you've got to have supreme trust that, they're going to tell the story right on the sort of the, the effect side of things, which The Flash does. Because as soon as it looks bad, the, you lose the audience. Because yeah, you're like, ah, yeah. oh, that effect is shitty. And, you know, anyway, that's something The Flash had, had dialed in um, really, really well. So I knew that, you know, it came in second season. So first season, I knew that um, they'd done that well. So it's like, I can already take that sort of out of the equation. This is going to be awesome. It's going to look awesome. Yeah. It's going to be real. So just don't even think about that. And then, um, God, the rest of it is just, it just it's still about the people. It's still about the person you're you're in the scene with, and um, and even though that that other thing is another character in the scene, you know, w- without the other the other human there, I think, or if there's no other human there, it's 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 almost like walking into an audition room where you have to create. I I, I do this, I create in my head sort of the environment we're in, not in a crappy room where there's you know shitty Venetian blinds and like you know a, a stained couch. Like <laughs> I'm in wherever the audition scene is, right? And I sort of try to project that out into the room I'm in so I can believably think that like, while I'm talking to the reader, there's two other people over there and they're sitting behind a desk and whatever. I, you know, sort of create the world in my head. And that's what, um, it's make believe, that's it. It's, it's creating the idea of really being there in that moment with these other people. And then just trusting. And it sounds kind of easy. I mean, I luckily did, we, we, we did a lot, um, which helped me gain my confidence but I'll say on day one it was um it was like oh this feels funky
0: well I mean let me add in because I'm talking about green screen that stuff is super interesting but also like I remember seeing scenes where you guys must have had shit all over you too, just to allow for the effects of the like, the, the, the streaks of light going through and the mask and all. Like, I, yeah. I, you know, most can't be practical and I don't think they're doing all of it on a computer. No. So, I mean, well, you, acting with you, all that crap. That, that was, on too, I mean, if, like, I'm,
1: if I'm looking back, it was all on a computer. It's not like a mocap, which I've actually never done, but I've seen it done. They have all these like, you know, the little orbs on them and stuff, yeah. that, you know, that you're that you're using in, you know, the, Computer to generate. I think I'm using the right term, but no. This this was a lot of. Um, you 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 did have to just imagine that there is this sort of ball of light around your hand and you're throwing it. You know, and they're going to slow it down. And uh, there there wasn't a lot of additional just committing. It, it was that... just committing. It was just committing. There's a. I felt really silly doing it. There's one scene where I take off my silver helmet and I punch the helmet four times fast, really quickly, and it sends out these sort of shock waves which knocks over the villain. I felt like such a doofus doing that. I felt so, like this is, ne- I feel really lame. But again, it's committing. It's like actually believing that what you're doing is gonna have the effect because you know they're gonna make it look cool.
0: Do they ever um, show you any like demos of what they think this is gonna look like or, or is there ever any like uh, working through of, you No, know, we need that to feel, um, like it has more force or like it's heavier or that it's lighter or that it's
1: Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was a lot of that where we had to pretend that like, all right, your foot is, we've thrown like a heavy lock onto your foot. So your foot is glued to the floor. So you have to, you know, you have to play with this sense of weight, you know, like this, you cannot move this limb or, and that was, yeah, again, it's committing. And it, there's something in your brain. That's my brain. That was like, this feels weird. This looks weird. This isn't going to look right. You look stupid. <laughs> Which is just ego shit, but um, but that's why having the right set and the Flash is one of them where everyone's invested, yeah, and, uh, and and we're all playing together. And you know you can't do any wrong because while they might make fun of you, which they did to me constantly, <laughs> they, it's, it, it's it's be, it's it's not younger. because you know the um, the effort was lacking. It's just because they they love to tease. Uh,
0: yeah, it's committing. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about the world around The Flash, because I mean, the show and not even Flash specifically, but doing a show like that, you know, how, um, how necessary is like the convention world? Um, and how like, are you invited into that? Do you choose to do that? Is that a full time job? You know, is that? The convention world is one of the one of the more favorite things,
1: unexpected things for me to come out of my time on The Flash. Um, I love it. There's nothing like connecting one-on-one. Funnily enough, COVID has sort of turned the convention world into sort of a virtual... You know, you can kind of have these sort of virtual Q&As and um, people can pay for one-on-one time with you or, like, give them a shout-out type of thing. To me, it doesn't replace the... the. Oh, God, fans want to hug. They want a high-five. They want an autograph. It's a tremendous way to connect. I mean, and, and every time I've done it, um, it's 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 affirming in in a way that you know, I, I kind of never thought about when I began acting professionally is that people people really care. They, they love the character that was portrayed or they hate the character that was portrayed. It left an impact. Being a part of the Flash is something that um, I tend to see a lot of families have gravitated towards because it's sort of, there's no blood. It's something that parents can watch with their kids and kids have grown up watching it. You know, the seventh season's about to start. Um, it's a great way too to connect with other actors who have been sort of some. It's weird because these used to be sort of Comic Con specific, and now what these are sort of fan conventions. Like Dylan McDermott was at one a couple months back, and you know Dylan doesn't have a comic book pedigree, and Henry Winkler is uh, at a lot of the ones I go to, and Carrie Elwes from which is kind yeah. of you know it's fantasy, but but it's it's a chance for fans to meet their favorite actors and. You know, people certainly can be known for one part, but most working day actors, if they're lucky enough, just do a bunch of stuff to, to, and and embody what they can and go along whatever ride that you know they're 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 able to to go on for for what they're being cast to do. So I love the conventional world. I think it's great fun, um, but even saying it's great fun is not quite accurate. I mean, it's deeply satisfying. I always call my wife after, and it's like I'm so fulfilled. Getting able to spend the time with uh, with with people i 'm always spent too i have no voice at the end of it and and you know because it 's a weekend of, of of talking and and playing it 's great fun
0: it 's got to be moving you know I, I try to do my research before these things, and I found on YouTube a video of you at one of those things where there 's a little kid in a full flash uniform who just shows up and like challenges zoom and I just thought like. <laughs> How does that not really? make your heart burst, you know? And then he runs around the little convention center. I think it was in like, I think the the stuff said maybe it was in Cincinnati or something like that. But I just felt oh like, god, like yeah. when, how do you not, how do you not just like fall in love with what you do all over again when you are seeing, I just know that a lot of That's my cool. love for this stuff came as a kid watching those movies and thinking, oh my God, this sense of play and it feels real. And then to see that mirrored in someone who's having that experience, but it's you. Yeah uh, it's
1: it's it's, it's deeply deeply rewarding for that reason especially to 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 hang out with the kids but yeah and then I and listen I I I got lucky I auditioned and and they liked what I did and 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 they picked me it's the it's the weirdness and the randomness of this field where so much is possible from one day to the next um it's just a matter of continuing to show up and persist and so like you know when you feel Frustrated and beaten down and full of self doubt, which by the way, I get that. I probably get that, you know, um, as much as, the, I, I know I get it as much as the next person, but, but maybe more. There's, um, I don't know, there's, there's just, there are, there are myriad reasons to keep showing up and it's got nothing to do with the bank account whatsoever. Yeah. It's got everything to do with a sense of play and impacting people's lives. And storytelling um, right now is so important It's never not been important, but right now it's so important. So to have that kind of impact is, um, it's, it's awesome. And then you look at John Wesley ship who played flash, you know, and for a season in the nineties. And then he, you know, 25 years later, he's on flash on the CW and it's like, you know, people as kids who watch these things may grow up and become the content creators and end up knocking on your door, you know, later on for something that, you know, they just hey, I was a fan of you here and let's, let's do, I'm doing this thing now. And, Life is weird that way, man. But um, but I think if you hang around long enough, you know, luck can kind of, you know, shine on you. You just got, you just got to keep, keep your, keep your. Opportunity meets preparation, is right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 do do things when you're not working to keep you sane. You know, do whatever that is. Other creative things, or I don't know, maybe maybe you got another job doing X, Y, or Z. Whatever it is, if 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 your love is real and you can hang around. I do like to think that
0: that that gets rewarded. I think it does. I think in my experience it does. Let's do a lightning round for the last couple because I have kept you way past longer than I said I was going to. (laughs) That's all right. Um, I talked a lot, I'm nuts. Okay, go on. uh, Okay, so uh, lightning round, here's one. the, uh, the convention game, the premiere game, the, the walking the red carpet game, you know, like uh, it's if you look, if you look, you or anyone who's kind of worked like you up on YouTube, there's a lot of you getting your picture taken, you're walking down those things. Have you gotten any training in that stuff? Do you have any advice for people who are going to walk their first carpet or do their first convention or any of that stuff that is not what you train for in school? I'll say
1: I'll, I'll handle both separately.
0: The carpet stuff, zero training. I'm,
1: I know that you like one can be media trained. It's always awkward. It's very weird, especially when you stand there, you know, in front of the background with all the sponsors, and uh-huh. you know, it's you're sort of facing a, a sort of a, a shooting gallery. Um, it's weird. It, 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 it'll. I don't know. For me, I don't think it'll ever feel comfortable. Uh, what I try to do is sort of remember why I'm there and sort of being proud of that. But that usually doesn't work. I. I like literally go. I like blackout for, for you <laughs> know, because it's because it's listen. It's stressful. Um, uh, also, I'll just say, but ultimately, there's so many, well, when things were happening, there's so many of these on any given night and it's, it's not, it's not the big deal you think it is. You're there. Hopefully you're there because, you know, you're in the thing. Um, so you're, you have that sort of sense of pride. Uh, but no, for me, it has not gotten easier. I try to avoid those at all costs. And um <laughs> And I don't like leaving the house too much. if I don't have to. So uh, and on the convention side, though, that I'll jump on a plane for in a second, because they're, they're so rewarding. I was terrified the first time I went. And um, Robbie Amell, who was on The Flash before me, uh, he and I met, um, we did a movie called Nine Lives. And I was in it for a few scenes. And Robbie's in it for the whole movie. We sat next to each other at the table to read. And we talked because I knew he was on Flash. And we stayed in touch. And I reached out to him when I got my first opportunity. And, and I said, you know, how do you feel about this? Should I do them? And Robbie's like, first one, I was terrified. I was terrified. I didn't like it. And ever since then, I, 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 I fell in love and I, you know, they're, they're, I love them. So that was kind of my experience too, going into it. I was petrified. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't, I'm not great one-on-one. I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. Uh, and, um, but once I saw the genuine sort of, I don't know the genuine sort of love and, and affection for the work I was doing, I was like, well, "This is great! This is great!" Like we get a chance to talk. So that I can only say for me, it got better. And um, and now I, I just there's I just love it. I, I love every second of it. I've probably said that too much. Advice <laughs> would be the thing that people are showing up to see always and forever will be you and what you have to offer. So um, if that's your own awkwardness, well then be awkward. I'm awkward. Uh, this is weird. I don't know what to do. Like embrace that stuff don 't be anyone you 're not
0: i mean authenticity authenticity uh, and vulnerability
1: but we think of authenticity typically as like in a positive way oh
0: i 'm authentically
1: bold or i 'm authentically you know wear wild clothing it 's like no one it were not not no one it 's more difficult to own your your authentic shyness yeah. um, or maybe I have enough to this point, but i I try to yes i 'm not I'm not adept at this, this or this, and I might as well just own it. Maybe it'll get better, but certainly don't want to pretend it's not there. That's, that's phony. That's bullshit.
0: I like that. Yeah. Uh, Keeping the lightning round going. Uh, Self tapes. Mm. I remember you telling me at one point that you don't like watching your own work. So how do you, uh, how do you handle that? Because self tapes to me, you know, you get infinite, (laughs) you get infinite takes. You got to watch it. You got to upload it. You got to decide whether that's a take or a different one. You got to go back in.
1: Yeah, um, self tapes. I would say yes. While I don't like watching my own work, um, and it's more specifically because I, I, I don't know, I can be hard on myself, but I also, for me, the joy is is in the doing, versus in the consuming of the doing. So, but yes, the brass taxes. You have to know if your take is good, and you have to send it in. Uh, I lean on my wife a lot, um, but I also sort of have a sense when I watch it back of, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm hitting certain beats or if I'm, if honestly, if I'm believably in the world, that's sort of, you know, half the battle to me. And uh, the good thing about self tapes is the tape, tape, tape. You can do it a bunch of times. Some of the the last two jobs I got actually, Chicago fire, uh, a nice arc on that. And then politician, I only had the luxury of like being able to do it twice. So I was like, I got to send the best of the two. I can't overthink this. I'm out of time. And, so that, that also works too, getting out of your own way.
0: I like that. And for, uh, for
1: lightning round, I'm not
0: giving you quick answers. I'm sorry. It, it, We're doing all right, we're doing all right. Final one, final one, final one right here. Uh, this is gonna be uh, kind of open and ended, so if you wanna, if you wanna you know, create a large wake, go for it. Okay. Um, what's your, what advice do you have for actors that you feel like is maybe not the thing everyone's hearing out of school? I think everyone knows to like, get in a class, right? But if someone's listening for this and they're thinking, you know, like this guy, this guy's built a career, this guy works a lot. What do you feel like is an additional piece of advice that you could give people trying to build their career, get to a a place where they are a -a work-a-day actor? Hmm. To give you some context for this question, we did a, um, we're doing the JRS Happy Hours and we had uh, Joe Manganiello on and uh, he said that Steven Soderbergh pulled him aside during Magic Mike and said, here's the secret. Arrive 10 minutes early and look as fucking good as you can. <laughs> that's, that's, incredible. that's, that's a good looking man right there. So uh, not... <laughs> but, like, that's so practical too. You know, yeah. it's not, um, you know, it's not, you gotta love it more than anything. There are these platitudes that we have, but on like a practical level.
1: You're, you're right. Then the platitudes are, you gotta suffer for your
0: art. No, you don't. <laughs> I mean, you can, yeah. Yes. It maybe may take, momentarily, maybe there's like an uncomfortable day on set or something, but yeah, or part, it may you take don't. you a while to
1: get to where you want to Yo, go. I remember being told when I was 23, someone said, listen, you... eight years, it's going to take eight years. Cause after eight years, you're going to have seen all the casting directors they are going to have watched your work grow. They're going to feel comfortable hiring you. You're going to meet all the execs. And I remember thinking eight years, Fuck, man, I'm 31. Like that's so long. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that far off. I really started to work. Uh, a fair amount at 28 and so that was like sort of five years of you know and I worked but there was some you know listen big-time frustrations I will probably say you know that that's a platitude that's oh Jesus Christ I'm gonna I'm gonna start this whole thing over again but what would I say Uh, we're gonna have to edit this from I'm gonna have to start Brian all over again man I'm trying to think what, what are the things that they don't teach in school, like what, what sort of practical applications going forward. Okay, I'm gonna start my answer here. Um, I think one of the things that, uh, that we can get away from is this notion of you need to suffer for your art. I, I think there could be some challenging times, sure. Uh, I think uh, you, we all want it to happen sooner than later. Yes, and maybe what the suffering is, is like the sort of lack of you know, what you want showing up in the form you want it to, to show up at. But I would say, no, I, I, one does not have to live a sort of you know, a crappy quote unquote artist life to arrive at the place where you know, you're achieving your goal. Do you have to do something to bring in money? before you can make money as an actor, most likely, yeah. Most likely you're going to have to figure something else out so you can have an income so you can live in Los Angeles or New York or Chicago and pay your rent and buy food for yourself while you're taking those classes or while you're, you know, while you're, you know, working your way up or hanging around long enough for people to know that you're not dabbling. Um, it's probably like the, the, the best thing I could say is make sure you have something coming in so you're not so reliant on, you know, a very fickle business. Um, not only giving you everything you need, but um, but providing you with the sort of the, you know, the 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 clarity that um, that this field just doesn't just doesn't present. I think it's important to build a network. I think it's important to have a partner. I think it's important to, you know, have your um, hobbies and other things that bring you great joy. I don't think that uh that you know those things should i guess i'm trying to say if those things replace your love of acting if the thing that got you excited to act in the first place goes away well then you know listen life then 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 you know you can pivot but um, i i I think i think it's important to hang around i think it's important to know that things don't unfold in the way that you, you think they will and if they don't you know, delay is not a denial. So just cause you don't get it early or don't get it in the form it takes, doesn't mean, you know, you should pack it in. If you really are interested in storytelling and, um, and being a part of this really, really cool field. Um, this is a rambling, another
0: well, no, that's a good classic one, rambling
1: answer, but that's sort of what comes to mind.
0: No, I like it. Um, I think we're gonna wrap up there, Teddy. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you and your wife are healthy again, and um, yeah, and everybody. Please uh, check out the Politician season two dropping uh, Friday. What what is the date on that going to be? Is the the 19th,
1: th- th- 19th of June. Yeah.
0: Friday the 19th of June on Netflix. Check it out. Support Teddy. Support everyone who made that show. Watch him work with Judith Light and Bette Midler, and uh, think about uh, black and white cookies and cappuccino. <laughs> and <cheese game. laughs> yeah, right. I can't imagine a better day. Uh, Teddy, thank you again. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I hope to talk to you again soon.
1: Ryan, thank you very, very much, man. I appreciate the opportunity.